Boston Sports Syndicate. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boston Sports Syndicate Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travers. Thank you for joining us. The Red Sox are just over a month into the regular season, and I don't think even the most optimistic Red Sox fan on this podcast could have predicted they would have been off to such a good start and leading the major leagues in wins. We haven't done a Red Sox podcast since the start of the season, so let's get right to it, shall we? Joining me as always on the Red Sox podcast to be named later is the great Blogino himself, Chris Henrik. Chris, how you doing? Guys, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited, ready to talk some Red Sox baseball with you. And, of course, joining Chris and me is Mr. Positivity himself, Matty Kiwum. Matt, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. You know, the Red Sox are doing their thing, and I love it. And in case you're wondering, you are the most optimistic Red Sox fan on this podcast that I was referring to before. Oh, man, I wasn't sure. Don't, which don't one was. know if you caught that or not. <laughs> So, guys, the Red Sox, as we record this, we're recording on Monday night. They are currently playing the Orioles in the uh, finale of a four-game series that they are looking to sweep. Red Sox are 22-13, and 13, best record in the major leagues, three and a half games in front of the Yankees and Rays for first place. So, guys, my first question out of the gate is, are we believing in this team? Certainly. I, I mean, I... Even when we did our season preview, I was higher on the Red Sox than probably most people out there uh, talking preseason baseball. And, I, you know, even though I didn't expect them to have the best you know, record in the majors, I expect them to perform well. And they performed well out of that first month. And here we are now in May, and they are almost 10 games over 500. It's, uh, it's great. And I do think that this is they are for real. Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean – this is good. I mean, it's exciting um, considering the way last year went and, you know, even 2019. Um, it just it feels like uh, it really feels like we're going to have a baseball season and it's going to be um, it's going to be, I think, a competitive and exciting year all year. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm optimistic. Um, looking forward to them uh, continuing the trend that they're on at the moment. I've got to agree with both of you. Uh, I'm buying in on this team. Not just so much for the win-loss record, but just for the the manner in which they're playing. The come from behind wins, um, you know, they've they've been competitive in virtually every game. So that's a good sign that at least they're going to be an entertaining product this summer, and not just the the mail-it-in variety that they were last year, and even somewhat the year before. So that those those are all positive signs. Uh, with the with the 22 and 13 record though. I think we have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt. They haven't exactly played the iron of the league so far. Uh, but, you know, they have been competitive. Um, they have played Tampa Bay a few games this year and done very well. I think, believe they swept them. So um, some positive signs out there, definitely. Yeah, and, 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 you know, they haven't necessarily played the who's who. But to be honest, there really isn't a who's who in the American League. So... Yeah, they, well, they'll have the, they'll have they'll have their tests out there. They'll play the Yankees in June and the Astros uh, coming up soon here. But they played the Mariners, and at the time they were top of their division. 
they uh they they've played Toronto and like you said they played Tampa. Now this week is a big week for them. They got some tough home games with Oakland and LA coming into town. LA Angels. The LA Angels of Anaheim, correct? Yes. Yeah, that would be it. Not the Dodgers. Not, not, not those not, mediocre Dodgers. Not the Dodgers with uh some right fielder by the name of Betts that we don't really want to talk about. Some guy. I think we've Do talked about. You guys about. see the video? Did you guys see the video of Betts uh, taking the glove to the pills there at third base and getting knocked down? No. When he got tagged out? Yeah, yeah the, uh... that was unfortunate. <laughs> Hate to see it. He got knocked down by the pills? Mm. He took a glove right to the uh, junk. Oh, oh those, oh, those kind of pills. I thought they were like aspirin or something that they had in the dugout. <laughs> no. Well, that would be a no. wild story. <laughs> that would be a wild story. I did see that. No. I did see that now that you mention it. All right, so, guys, I think probably the biggest difference between this year's and last year's team is the pitching, primarily the starting pitching. Um, this year they have gotten into at least the fifth inning in just about every start. I, I can't think of many where the starters haven't at least gotten through the fifth, which years ago was mediocre, but, you know, in this day and age in baseball, yeah, it's almost considered a quality start if you can get through the fifth inning. So who are your surprises so far with this team? I, I think there's a couple of candidates right off the top of the bat. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Who are your surprises on the starting staff this year? I mean, I'm surprised that Nick Pavetta started the year 5-0. and I mean, that's a pleasant surprise. He's actually, I think he's, what, 7-0 and now since joining the Red Sox last season. Um, he's pitched I mean, really, really well all year. He's had one start to where, you know, it was a questionable start. It was a few weeks back, but, you know, he had that almost no-hit bid, um, the game they ultimately ended up losing. Um, but, I mean, he just continues to pitch well. Um, I don't – I think in what uh, – yesterday's game, you know, like the strikeout count was lower, but he just continues to be impressive. And, you know, it almost – it. Starting to really, really, really feel like that Heim Bloom completely fleeced the Phillies. And I kind of want to, I, I look at that trade and kind of think, is this like the potential to be like the Heathcliff Slocum 2.0 trade? You know, when, remember when the Sox traded Slocum and they got Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek? Now you trade Brandon Workman and Hembry, and you literally, you're, you've gotten a starter right now that is, that is making positive impacts to your rotation, helped elevate that rotation. And then on top of it, Really, the the main piece of the deal is Connor Seabold, which we haven't gotten to see yet. Um, so I would say Pavetta, and honestly too, Nick, um, Garrett Richards is turning some heads. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they did to turn Garrett Richards around. They got him a jacket. He he got a jacket, and he's not a dumpster fire anymore. And that is really encouraging to see because he is going to be a big piece of this rotation for the remainder of the season. And the fact that he, you know, it's three starts. I'd probably say he puts together one or two more of these starts. We might be able to, uh, you know, start to consider the fact that he might have legitimately have turned around. But I would say both of those guys from a pitching perspective, I, in my opinion, you know, Erod, it's been a great story too, coming off the COVID piece. He's been, you know, he's been lights out too. But um, I would say those two, Pavetta and Richards, are my two surprises ultimately. Yeah, and the thing with Pavetta, you know, the 5-0 and record, one-loss record can be deceiving. But I believe his ERA is in the low threes. So he's, you know, he's done really well. He's he's kept them in games. Uh, you mentioned Seabold. 
Uh, I believe he's been shut down in the minors. I don't know if he's started back up again. He had some arm issues, and they shut him down. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's he's shut down, and fortunately so is Turner Hauk, So We can get into that in a little bit. And you mentioned Brandon Workman. They brought him. They signed him after he was cut by the Cubs, and uh, now he's down in Worcester. So he's a little bit of uh, depth down in AAA that hopefully they can turn him around. When you think back to last year, he was your closer last year. So he's taking a huge drop down, but maybe they can salvage something out of him. So that, that would make that deal look even better. That's that's kind of an Araldus Chapman-type deal when the Yankees dealt him to the Cubs, and then he came back the following season. Matt, how about you? What uh, what are your thoughts on the pitching staff so far, primarily the starters? So I would say my biggest surprise so far this season is Nathan Eovaldi. Now, the back of the baseball card doesn't necessarily pop out at you. He's got a 4-2 and two record, ERA of 4.62. But what he's doing out there is it's a little bit different than he's been throughout his whole career. He's not relying solely on the fastball. He's throwing the curveball a lot more, and it's been very effective. And not only that, he leads the Red Sox in innings pitched. Now, if you follow baseball and if you follow Nathan Yavoldi, you know the guy has a bout with injuries. Now, it's still early, but so far so good. And I think the way he's attacking the strike zone the way he's working uh he seems like he's going to be a reliable arm for them for most of the year yeah he struggled a little bit i wouldn't say struggled but he's had issues in his last two outings uh first against detroit last week um and god that was a brutal series against detroit maybe we can talk about that a little bit later um how, how they struggled in three games against the worst team in baseball um but Avaldi uh, had a little bit of a problem in that one, and uh, and then this over the weekend against the Orioles, uh, he got cuffed around a little bit too. Um, it seems like he's he's getting through that first turn in the order, and then then they're they're getting a look at him, and and they're starting to get some good swings against him. So I've got a little bit of concern there, and I've also got a little bit of concern with Erod. Um, he's hasn't been uh, lighting up the gun in his last few starts, and then coming off of the dead arm issue in spring training i've got a i've got a little bit of a concern there i mean he's good enough of a pitcher that that he's been able to pitch around it uh but with the velocity down i i've got a i think that bears watching and i, I think that's something that that makes me a little nervous especially with some of the other depth that they have at the minor leagues with tanner Houck being shut down and seabold being shut down now uh you, you don't have much of an ar- margin for error there First, let me touch on Nathan Eovaldi. These the last two starts, he's given up a bunch of earned runs, like you mentioned, Bill. He's been disappointment because the teams he's pitching against aren't, you know, the cream of, uh, the cream of the crop for the American League. But if you look a little bit at his underlying statistics, they would suggest that he's getting a bit unlucky. His BABIP is career high, uh, about 20 to 40 points higher than a lot of projections have him. You know, his uh, left on his strand rate is at 60 percent. And that will just that's too, too low. That that's just by happenstance. It'll come up. And on top of that, his expected ERA is 3.14, which is a a full run and a half less. So granted, you know, the the outings themselves, the on field performance have looked like they've taken a hit. I think that it will correct himself. And as long as he keeps taking the ball, I expect him to do a lot more. Uh, he, I expect him to look a lot more like he did to start the season than he has the last two. Now, Erod, it's a bigger, it's a bigger question to answer because you know he's coming off of such a unique 
injury, not an injury, and a condition really. Um, and I don't know how much that zapped his his ability to to get up there and, and chuck the ball because, like you said, he's not throwing as hard as he used to. But again, Erod, his statistics look pretty good, and I don't know. It, it, maybe it's a maybe it's like a, a building up type of thing. Who knows? We'll have to see as the summer goes on. Yeah, he was throwing hotter in his first few starts of the season. It's just within the last couple. Seems like, you know, he's low 90s at best instead of being up in the 96, 97 range where he was before. Uh, got any anybody else in the starting rotation? That I think we touched on everybody, didn't we? Yeah, the only one we didn't bring up is Martin Perez because ah. he's just doing exactly what we thought he yes. would do. He, he is what he thought we – he is. Yeah. How do you say that? He yeah. is who we thought he, he was. He is what we thought he was. Yeah, he's a fifth starter, and you know, even even for a fifth starter, he's he's been doing uh, decent, good enough anyway, good enough. Right, and and a guy like that, you just you need innings out of him more than you need almost anything else. You can't like we talked. You actually, Bill, I think you just brought this up a few minutes ago. Depth is already becoming a little thinner than it was a week ago or two weeks ago. We need the Red Sox need Martin Perez to take the ball and just give him what he's always been giving him, which is just okay. He's doing okay. Shrug emoji type stuff. Yeah, and, and talking about you know doing what he needs to do, eat some innings. We're already seeing the bullpen, which was good to start out. They're starting to show some chinks in their armor as well. Uh, saramora has been getting touched up lately. Uh, Ottavino's hot and cold. Um, you know Barnes has been light out, lights out certainly, but some of these uh, some of these other guys uh, in front of him, uh, they've been struggling to hold leads. Even uh, Garrett Whitlock is starting to show that he's human. Um, I don't think anybody thought he was going to go the rest of his career without earning a run, but you know he there's starting to get a, a book on him too. So, uh, Chris, I want to start with you. What are what are your thoughts on the bullpen? I know I know there's one bullpen member in particular that you're ready to drive to the airport. Uh, I mean, I would drive Josh Taylor to the airport. I'd pack his bags. I'd book his flight. I would do whatever we need to do. I mean, he doesn't belong in a major league roster. He really doesn't. Him and even Austin Bryce. Though, I mean, I know what I mean, they're there right now, and they're just trying to, I guess, get them through portions of games when it's blowouts. But why is Josh Taylor pitching in meaningful like moments in the game? You know, like, I don't understand the infatuation with doing that. I get, like, Alex Cora, he sticks with his guys to build their confidence. But build Taylor's confidence on his own time, not when it is a close game and he keeps coming out in the 7th or 8th inning. Like, I'm done seeing that. It's it's beyond frustrating. The walks, he was, what, incredibly wild last night. And we continue to run this dude out there. It, But the problem with that, though, and it's part of why they brought back Brandon Workman is they, they do lack relief pitching uh, depth within the upper parts of the minor league system right now. You know, uh, Workman comes back really because I forgot the guy's name at the top of my head that just retired that they had signed. What is it? Robles that they had signed. And then he ended up retiring. So um, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But in my opinion, Taylor, we just got to move on from Taylor. Adovino is just so hot and cold, but he's a he's a big league pitcher, a uh, big league pitcher that deserves to be on this team, and I think at some point he's going to figure it out. 
Um, and I kind of hope that, you know, Whitlock is just, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like the problem is he was just so dominant for the first 25 and, you know, some odd innings. And now that he's kind of showing like, Hey, I can, you know, they can get at me a little bit. I, I just don't want fans to kind of be like, Oh, this guy sucks now too, because I feel like that's in the pipeline pretty soon as well. But um, now Josh Taylor's got to go. Austin Bryce too. They both got to go. I'm, they suck. Problem is, like you said, they're lacking depth at the AAA level. So yeah, those guys go. No who's coming them. in? You, you need somebody to, to fill those mop-up roles. Uh, Phillips Valdez I, seems to have dropped off the radar completely. He hasn't been getting any high leverage situations at all. And the, and the best part too, is like, I've been reading on social media, even today, like, uh, Ryan Brazier's throwing off a mound. We're getting excited over Ryan Brazier. Like, there's fans that are getting excited that Ryan Brazier is going to come back to this team. He sucks, too. Like, <laughs> like it, it's like you're going to just replace sucks with just more guys who suck. Like, if anybody legitimately thinks that Ryan Brazier is going to be an upgrade off of, off of Bryce and Workman, uh, Bryce and Taylor, you're just drinking the Kool-Aid and you're just saying it to, and, and defending the team because it's all you do. We, we got to call it for what it is. Ryan Brazier is not the savior. I would have traded that dude a long time ago. And I've written about that in the past. I just, I think he brings no value to this team with the exception of the fact that he has options and his salary is low, but he's a dime a dozen, complete dime a dozen. Well, I do think there's a little bit of a middle ground there because he doesn't have to be the savior, but he definitely will be better than Austin Bryce in his 8.38 ERA in nine innings pitched because he so. is awful. So I don't think Brazier by any means is necessarily an upgrade to the high leverage situations and those guys that they have in those situations. But, uh, you know, I I have to agree with you guys. This is this is going to be uh, the, the, the area of the team that Heimblum's going to have to go out, and he's going to have to bring people in from the outside to really solidify that pen. They do not have a lefty. Darwinson Hernandez is still not there yet to be the wipeout lefty that they need. And the only guy they really have in the minors waiting for him is uh, Pointer. And, and we all know that he's a, another just soft-throwing whatever lefty. They don't really have their lefty specialist, their go-to lefty arm. That's probably going to have to come out from, from outside of the, uh, of the organization. They do have a lefty in the minor leagues, in the AAA, I should say, that is intriguing. Steven Gonzalez, he's a hard-throwing lefty. They picked him up last year, and they've kind of left him in the minors. But they're using him as a starter. They're stretching him out. The first game pitched for the Wu Sox. He went five and a third. So they're not looking for him to be a short short guy. They want him to be depth in that starting rotation. So they're not going to be able to grab him for the bullpen anytime soon. They're going to have to do something about it because even Adam Montevino, I mean, he throws that slider more than any of the pitch almost 50% of the time. And sometimes you're watching it. It feels like it has a complete mind of its own. And that just it makes you nervous in a high leverage situation when the when you know when, when it's all on the line when it's big time stuff it's not May but we're talking about October baseball Adam Montevino slider has to it's gonna it's gonna cause a lot of cold sweats for Red Sox Nation. Oh. It already is though. I, it, but I mean I'm I'm not ready to kind of I'm not ready to kind of say that you know. I'm not panicking over him just yet because I think that there's a long enough track record from his past for us to kind of consider to give him the opportunity to kind of see what he can still give. But 
I mean, I, I'm looking right now, and I'm looking at the, the Wusox roster. And besides Gonzalez, they got left-hander Tyler Olsen, who they picked up. He was DFA before the season started. The Sox picked him up. He's a lefty. Um, Matt Hall is inactive. He's a lefty. You mentioned Pointer. He's inactive. He's a lefty. Um, why not go after Oliver Perez? He was he was let go by the Indians a few weeks back. He's still a free agent. It's a veteran arm. You know, I know he's 39, going to be 40 years old. But over the last couple of seasons, I mean, he's had from 2018, 2019, and 2020 with Cleveland. ERA was... 1.39, 3.98 last year, 21 games, and even two ERA. You know, veteran pitcher. I don't, I don't see the downside in bringing him in. From that perspective, I just don't know who would come off the 40-man roster to make that work. There's got to be a red flag on him somewhere if nobody's picked him up with numbers like that. I'm thinking it's yeah. either red flag or because of his age, he just wants to wait and wait till the weather warms up, wait till the situation, the perfect situation arises. Because you're right, Bill, his numbers have been good. There's no reason why he should be out there. But if he's waiting and playing the long game and wants to come in, you know, middle, end of June, maybe the Red Sox are in on him. Because they could definitely use him. You're right, Chris. They could use him. I mean, and, and literally, guys, besides that, I mean, I'm looking now even at Portland. And obviously, you typically don't go and pluck a dude from Portland and put him up on in the bigs. But even just to to continue to develop, you know, they have three lefties in their pen, Rio Gomez, uh, Logan Browning, Emmanuel DeJesus. I mean, they're, they're just not ready to take that next step. So, and I think that the, the most logical choice is to pick someone up who is, you know, DFA'd, who, you know, that they could bring in because I don't really necessarily see Bloom trading any of his players yet to go ahead and add to this team. I and mean, he's going to have to. He's going to have some tough decisions to make if this team continues uh, to play the way that they are because he's going to have to add and he's going to have to make some additions. So um, I'm not panicking yet. I don't think we need to panic, but we're what? It's only what three weeks up to the month of May before we hit June. And if they're still playing the way that they are and you're in, you're in first place and you're leading the league and wins in wins in the majors, you're a serious contender this season. No, you bring up a good point, Chris, because that's probably something that Bloom was not anticipating coming into the season that he may have to trade off some of his prospects in order to bolster up the team to make a playoff run. So that that's going to be really interesting to watch if he thinks that uh, that this team has a shot to contend for a title. Will he trade some of those pieces away to go after that depth that they need? Here's why. So I've been kind of back and forth on that a little bit too because of the fact, and I, and I think that's it's been a narrative that I you know heard on the radio. I mean, Maserati said the same thing you know, about he's not going to go and trade his prospects. I think one thing to look at that maybe people aren't thinking about is that the draft is in a couple of weeks. Well, I meant to say a couple of months rather in July. They're going, they have the fourth overall pick. They're going to land theoretically a player who is going to impact this team for, we'll call it five to eight years, right? Potentially a franchise altering players who you should be trying to get. On top of it, you still have the fourth pick through the rest of that draft. So you're in a position that you can still, providing the scouting has done what they're going to do for the next 20 rounds, they're in a position that they can bring in significant talent. So you could theoretically dip into some of the depth and surplus that you acquired because you have such a premium pick. So 
I'm not opposed to trading off some of these players that he's acquired. Depends on who and depends for what. Because of the fact that they have the number four pick, they're going to quickly replenish whatever they trade if they do with that. And then these other players is going to come in that they're going to pick that early in the draft. So I don't think people should forget that or even diminish the fact that 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 I think is going to weigh heavily into some of the decisions he makes, you know, for his big league roster. And who knows if a Kumar Rocker or a Jack Leiter drops to them at four, we could see one of them in the bullpen before the season's over. I, let me, I'm going to tell you what, if Jack Leiter falls to four, I will streak down the street. Like that would be such a get. That'd be like Belichick getting Mac Jones at 15. Like that's just, you get, you get your guy just to fall. Either one of those dudes, if they fall to four, like that is just such the perfect scenario for this team because either one of those guys could be a top of the tier, you know, pitcher to lead their rotation. Like, I'm not, I don't know if they're going to be an ace long-term for their career, but you could, you're going to draft some, you know, a, a dude that could be theoretically a number two, number, or even maybe they could be an ace, who knows? It, it, it's, it's, it feels like a, like the, the stars are aligning here for Bloom a little bit. Let's circle that date on the calendar. We're going to have to do uh, some type of live event that night watching the draft. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, that's such a good idea. And um, if they grab one of those Vanderbilt pitchers, Chris, you're going to have a streak in mate, buddy. I'll write down the right down the road. We are going we are pulling a Frank the Tank and we are streaking through the quads. <laughs> because that would be that was something I never thought possible 2 years ago and then when they got the fourth pick, I still didn't think it was possible. And now who knows? There's a lot of rumblings that those two shortstops out of high school are going to go before both of the Vanderbilt pitchers. So that would be fantastic. I can't wait, too, when we get closer and we start to dig in and start talking a little more about some of these players that could become available. Because, I mean, you know, to the casual fan, they just see Jack Leiter. They see Kumar Rocker. They see and hear those are the names. So they're getting themselves hyped up about those guys. There are some other really, really good, talented college and high school players who are going to go in the top ten that the Red Sox could go ahead and, and draft. Don't I, I don't want Sox fans to have that feeling of being left, uh, you know, feeling like ah oh, they didn't get Kumar because he went one or whatever the combination is. There is such a good surplus of young players who can go in that top ten. The Sox are going to get a great player. I would like for them to get one of those two guys, but if they don't, to your point, Matt, there's those shortstops, there's a catcher. They're, you know, like you get, you just go best available player and they're going to get a stud. They're going to get a really, really good player. Yeah, they're guaranteed to grab themselves a top three to five prospect in their system from the jump, right from right from draft day. But you just hope that it's not a high school kid that you're not going to see for six years. I mean, look at Tristan Cassis. He's their top prospect in their system. He's still at is he at Portland finally? He's in, he's in Portland, um, but, I mean, would you be surprised if, you know, he doesn't make a jump to AAA before the end of this year? I mean, I wouldn't. I, I'm excited. I just also, too, like, I don't want them to rush these players either. There's no need to. You know, they're not in that position of, of this rebuild, retool, whatever label we want to put on there. They're not in a position where they have to rush these players. We can be patient because this team's in first place. They own the best record in baseball. And they are, they're, you know, they have holes and they have opportunities, but they're, you know, based off of the schedule that they've had, and they, you can't control your schedule. This, your schedule is what it is. They are playing like a team that is, 
the best team in baseball right now. And they're pitching like that too. Minus Josh Taylor, who sucks. <laughs> All right, let's get back to some of the guys that are on the on the current roster. Um, another uh, area of concern has been the bottom third of the order, uh, primarily Franchi Cordero, Hunter Renfro, Bobby Dahlback, with a little bit of Marwin Gonzalez sprinkled in there. Um, they have improved somewhat over the last week or so. Renfro seems to have found his stroke. Um, Dahlbach and uh, Franchi have, have had flashes. Uh, but, guys, this has been a problem, I think, for the Red Sox. Going back even even to 2018, they uh, in that year, they, they were – and I know it's probably a problem with a lot of teams in the major leagues, but it just seems like uh, the Red Sox have had this problem down at the at the bottom of their order. Uh, do, you, do you think any of these guys long-term – and I'm saying long-term meaning this year – uh, are, are the answer, or do you think uh, we're just waiting until maybe somebody like uh, Jaron Duran comes up and uh, can insert some life down at the bottom of that order? I'll throw it out to you first, Matt. So I think that both Renfro and Cordero, they'll find themselves a role on this team. I don't think it's going to be – I don't think the playing time will be there over the whole course of a season as much as it is now. Now, Renfro is doing better, like you said, Bill, and he has a double tonight as we're recording. Uh, but, you know, you can't have a guy going extensive cold streaks, ex- especially during bigger games. You know, there are going to be a stretch of games where they need some production at that bottom third. And, you know, you can't have Cordero, Renfro, Dahlbach just going, you know, 0 for 9 with 6, 7 Ks in a given night. That just isn't going to provide much. I think. Typically with contenders, you do see random guys come up or get traded for or find their ways on a roster. You know, things that come to mind are like a Stephen Pierce or like the year uh, Cody Ross took oh, – not Cody Ross, the catcher. Why am I drawing – like the, the manager now for David the Cubs, David Ross. David Ross, took over the duties from Jared Saltiamakia in their 2013 run. So I do think they might find that. But Duran, that's the guy that everyone's waiting for. He's going to get called up this year. Uh, I know a lot of people barking on the social medias about his, his cold start to the Wu, the Wu Sox season, but he's starting to turn it around, and the kid is just dynamite, and he just seems to be able to – I think he's going to come up. They're going to put him at the bottom of that order, and he's going to provide a spark, much like Ellsbury did when he was called up. Good comp. Good comp. Chris, what are your thoughts? Bottom of the lineup has been, has been abysmal. Uh, I mean, and I – there was an article that uh, Christopher Smith wrote in Mass Live that really broke down the, that bottom third of what they're getting from a um, an average and on base percentage from the seven, eight, and nine spot. You know, unfortunately, from like you know Franchi, you know he's when he's played, he's batted towards the bottom. You know, he's what ninth or whatever. So the ninth spot is uh, you know taking a massive hit, especially when he went on that massive over streak. Um, I think Renfro is just going to be one of those guys that's going to hit you 220 to 230. But when he gets hot, and we're seeing it right now, he's going to provide some spark. He's going to give them the power that they need in the bottom of that lineup. What they really need is they need Bobby Dahlbeck to figure it out and start to swing. He's making better contact. His at-bats look better. It's just one of those where it just he needs a few to find a you know he needs to find a hole in a few spots, and then he can we can kind of see you know, him kind of turn that around. I, the only plus to this whole thing is that Cora is really sticking with these guys. 
and he's showing that he has faith in these players. He really has no other choice because there's no other guys that are ready. But, you know, I see Renfro long-term this season as, you know, being he'll be able to make an impact because they love his defense. Cordero, I still think the dude's lost. And he had that one game. It's not enough for us to go ahead and kind of forget about everything else this season. You know, he had some good at-bats scored game winning run like he he put the team in, in a position to do what they what they did when they a few days ago the game where Kiki got hurt but I think ultimately it's time for him to go down and get and find quality at bats in the minors because he's not getting quality at bats on the big league level and I just think that the pressure on him and the eyes that are on him I just think it's too much so send him down let him figure it out and then you can call him back up later on I don't think they have Jaren the luxury Durant. to send him down right now because Kike no, got hurt. He's on the IL. Like, Arroyo's hurt. He's correct. on the IL. So, you know, who's who's coming up to you, take to take their place? You brought Chavis up to fill one of those holes. But so there's, the not, a, there's not a lot going on is, down there. Next guy that's going to come up is Danny Santana. He just got called up to, to Worcester as part of his rehab assignment. Hit a home run a couple days ago. Um, he's going to give you that versatility. He's going to give you the Marwin Gonzalez versatility all over the diamond. He's the next guy to get the call up. That might be where we see a Josh Taylor, you know, get sent down or I don't know if they're going to send Valdez down. Cause I don't, I, I don't think he has options left. I think that he's out of options, which is why he was initially DFA removed off the 40 man when he got claimed off waivers. And I think Austin Bryce is the same way. So feels like that's where they're going to go. They don't need to carry all these pitchers that they have. They could probably benefit from losing one of those guys. At some point, Duran is going to get a look. So Franchi's going to be here for a little while, but if, if Duran starts to continue to, you know, it's a slow start. They also played, what, four games? So I don't I don't want to rush Duran. That's the thing. I, like, I want to see these guys, but I also don't want them to get rushed up. So... You also they don't have, got a choice. Uh, Yair, was it Yairo Munez? They John do. But he's, he, he's he looked another... really good last year in, in a short sample size Correct. Uh, to, uh, in September of last year before I think he got hurt and missed the last couple of weeks of the season. But that guy was playing well, too, and I, I believe he's still stashed down in Worcester. Yeah, he's their, he's their left fielder. They, you know, some other guys, too, they have. I mean, they, they have. I mean, um, they called up. Uh, Aruz or Aruz or whatever you say his name. He got called up to replace Arroyo, but they do have Michael Geddes that's down in the minors, so they just signed. Um, they have him that's down there. Beyond that, Cesar Fuelo is really the only other outfielder that they have um, that's down in Worcester in that um, what feels like it's like a stacked Worcester team. Um, they don't. I don't know if they necessarily have guys in the lower level yet that can make that transition and jump um, but they have exciting young players. It's just a matter of they're not ready. But from a marketing standpoint, you mentioned it looks like Worcester's a stacked team. I can see them, unless unless they get desperate at the major league level, I can see them leaving those players down at Worcester to try to build up that interest in the team, especially you know where this is their first year in the market and trying to draw in that fan base. I don't know if they'll be, you know, if if you'll have the taxi squad thing going on with Worcester like you've had in the past when they were in Pawtucket. No, and it, it, I think that's a good point you bring up. I mean, Jaron Duran was already given the okay to go play for Team USA in their qualifier 
at the end of this month. Seemingly, that means he will not be called up for at least, you would have to think, a month. Now, I mean, I guess if times got a little bit more dire and push came to shove, they would say, you know, you're not going, you're going to stick around. But I think that Duran is a huge, huge, huge ticket to sell right now, and that's what they're trying to do given their first year in Worcester. Yeah, and Gita, you know, Gita maybe Downs they do is start down there through. as well. Yeah, I mean, they had their opening day lineup had Chavis, Gina Downs, and Duran one, two, three, uh, three out of their top four. They are trying to they are trying to put together something there just for the fans, I would assume. And they are kind of not I wouldn't say loaded because to use a word like that meaning that they have a bunch of guys that are really good, but they do have a lot of veteran options they can bring up to the big league cup if they want to wait and play the long game with the Jaron Duran. There's gonna be people who are gonna listen. And they're going to gripe and groan if the Red Sox are keeping players down in AAA because they want to sell tickets at the Worcester level. I know what you're saying. I get it. And it makes a ton of sense to me. But there are going to be fans who are going to hear that. And they're going to think, man, that's probably what they're doing. Typical Red Sox. And it, it makes sense. And I understand it. it's the first year they get a new ballpark coming off of COVID. You need to sell, sell, sell as many tickets as you can. I don't want to sound selfish, but I don't really care about Polar Park. You know, this team's in first place. This team theoretically should be a playoff team. And I'm a bit, I'll be incredibly disappointed if this Red Sox team does not make the playoffs. I don't know if they're still going to win the division, but this team doesn't make the playoffs because we wanted to hold off because we wanted to sell tickets down at Polar Park and Wooville or whatever the hell they're calling the different areas of the ballpark. I'm gonna. That's gonna be a tough pill to swallow for fans. See, I don't think that. I think they're just doing what they typically do, which is trying to have their cake and eat it too. I think ideally they would like to keep Duran down and use players to sell tickets, but I think this ownership group has shown that when this team's good and they're trying to win, they'll do whatever it takes to win. So I don't think that they will keep a Duran down or anything like that just for the tickets. But if they can do it. You know this 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 social group knows how to produce entertainment, so they will try. Yeah, and I would think Larry Latino is in charge down there, so. Yeah, and and other than Duran, I don't think there's any real difference maker, at least at the major league level right now, to come up. So I I just I I don't unless there's a dire need, I just don't see them bringing a guy up just for the sake of bringing him up. I I see Cora sticking with somebody like a Franchi Cordero. For him to try to get out of his out of his funk. It's just Duran. I mean, that's the name that everybody's focusing on. I mean, and and it's you know you you have good reason to, you know, it, he puts up you know highlight reel. I mean, the, every it seemingly every tweet that's available for Jaron Duran is something to get excited about. Whether it's his him running the bases or tracking down balls in the outfield. Or the fact that he has sneaky great, you know, sneaky good power. There's 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 reasons to be excited about what we're seeing from Jaron Duran. So, I, you know, if this if if the Worcester if if the if the Woosox had a little more exposure on TV, um, you know, I, I think that that would be like if you're if you have to call these guys up and you're not going to be able to sell the tickets, put them on TV. You know, get eyeballs at least to the TV and and. And that from that perspective, but but no, I mean, I, again, I'm looking at their I'm looking at their roster. I, there really isn't much after that that is close to being ready. Jeter Downs isn't close to being ready. Connor Wong is not close to being ready. You know, both those guys from the Mookie trade. 
Um, I mean, Wong struggled the other day. I mean, he had, I think, three errors playing second base the other day. The kid's a natural catcher. He was playing second base with three errors. So, you know, I it's it's really Duran, and after that, it's then it's really the pitching. You know, Hauk or or Seabold or you know those players. A couple of wild cards. I mean, Downs is a good few weeks away from being ready. I mean, he's in AAA, so it's not like they're keeping him there with the idea of him not coming up if he's hot. And he could play into this because if he comes up and plays your everyday second base, that frees up Hernandez when he's healthy to be your everyday left fielder. So he could factor in. Another thing that we've talked about Franchi a bunch, I'm a little intrigued to see exactly what those remaining players to be named later are from the Mets. Now, they, the reason why there were so many involved in this deal was because of the 2020 corona season. You know, team builders all around the league were looking at that at, at, totally differently because they didn't have a chance to get eyeballs on the, on the players that they were scouting. And I just wonder if they are lower-level guys and that's why, or if he just wanted to wait and see and maybe they pull off, you know, a quad-A lefty with some stuff that they can use in the pen or a fourth outfielder type or something like that, you know. There, there are plenty of different ways to go with those players we named later. So it could factor into this team. I mean, I think it's a long shot because historically those, you know, those – are preserved for lower-level guys, but you never know. And two of those are going to come from the Royals and one from the Mets, or is it the other way around? The three players that they're uh, going to get. I, I know there's some mix there. Uh, yeah, now that you say it, I can't remember if it's two, which, it's, which which side gets two. I think it's, hey, it's from the Royals. They get the majority, and then it's the other player from the Mets. Yeah, and the Royals, but you make a, the Royals are at, you know, they're playing horrendous ball right now too, so. They may be willing to give up a 4A player at that point. Maybe if the Red Sox kick in something else, a, another bucket of balls or something, you know, maybe they'll they'll give up somebody that could be of some value to the major league team. You know, the Royals have this guy, this lefty. He was drafted seventh overall in the uh, entry draft. I don't know if you know his name, An- Andrew Benavendi. Benavendi. He might help. He could at least play left field. He could at least play some dynamite left field, and he is getting pretty hot right now to play it. Matt, you mentioned Jeter Downs coming up and playing second base, though. Um, that kind of fits in with some thoughts that I had. You said Hernandez could be the everyday left fielder. Then I see maybe Franchi and, and Renfro settle into a platoon situation in right field. Because when they sign Renfro, everything they said was, well, the guy just crushes left-handers. Not so great against right-handers. So if you can work out some kind of platoon like that between those guys and maximize what you can get out of them, then maybe they fit on your roster. But with them both starting in, in everyday lineup, that's when their weaknesses get exposed. Certainly, yeah. When those guys get extensive playing time, you can really see the blemishes in their game. Now, you can platoon them where Cordero gets all the righties and Renfro gets pretty much all the lefties. You know, given their power and given their just skill set, they could really be you know a, a really productive spot in that lineup. Now, like the, a lot of things have to go their way. I also, I can't help but wonder: Did Bloom kind of did he envision having another piece in the in the fold? Because they just seem like such platoon guys, and right out of the gate they weren't. They were asked to be, you know, some version of one of their everyday outfielders. And especially guys like Eddie Rosario was out there. If you remember, he got like a one-year deal from the Indians. There were some really good big leaguers out there to be had for just money. And the Red Sox never really poked around on those guys. So I wonder if there was something else that 
Bloom had in mind, or like you said, Bill, maybe he always envisioned Jeter Downs being on this team, you know, before the end of the year. Or maybe he thought he was going to re-sign Jackie Bradley Jr. And then right, maybe that is the best. Right, yeah, maybe exactly. Franchi yep. platoon and left. Yeah, absolutely. Because I really don't want to see Franchi in right field in Fenway after seeing what he's done in left field. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm out on that. I mean, that's going to be tough. To, he struggles playing, and you know what is seemingly. I mean, Manny played left field at Fenway Park, and Manny was never really the greatest, you know, defensive outfielder. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of you know I I still want to you know I still want to see truly what Cordero could be. The other thing too is he's not the centerpiece of the deal. He was. I mean, I think Lou Merloni, I felt, kind of put it best. He's a lottery ticket. You got him because he's got the potential to have tremendous power. That's why they, you know, that's why he's here. Well, we're kind of seeing a player who, if you go and look at his, you know, if you go and look at his, as we say all the time at the back of the baseball card, he does not, I mean, he hasn't had a lot of big league at bats and he hasn't played a lot of big league games because of injury. So, I understand the frustration that's around it. Um, trust me, I see, you know, it seems like whenever he, you know, farts the wrong way, there's a tweet about it. So um, I think it's really just kind of see what happens with the next couple of weeks. Let's not rush Jaron Duran. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Bloom does have something up his sleeve that we are, you know, we're not, you know, thinking about or anticipating or like you guys said. You know, there's players in that system that they might have just thought that, hey, you know what, they're closer than we think, and they're going to potentially make an impact. Who knows? I mean, these guys could. You, you mentioned Franchi wasn't the centerpiece of the deal. The problem is you traded away Ben Attendee. You got back Franchi at the major league level. You gave him Ben Attendee's number. It certainly looks like a one-for-one -one deal, at least on the surface. And now Ben Attendee's starting to heat up in Kansas City, which makes it look well, even yeah, worse. Yeah. Correct, and that's what makes it hard because he is playing better. You know, he went on a um, you know a run of like eight straight games where he, you know they the one they they dropped him in the in the lineup. They moved him down to seventh. He was producing from the seventh spot. They've they've since you know elevated him back up in the lineup because of the way that he was hitting. Um, there's a reason that he's not here, and someday it's going to come out. It could be money. I doubt it, but it could be money. But there's a reason why that Benintendi's not here in Boston anymore. So. I get the, you know, again, I get it, you know, Sox fans, they see it and it's easy to huh, look at this guy and yeah, way to go. Bloom, you know, traded Andrew Benintendi. He's hitting the cover off the ball and Franchi Guerrero is over. I, I, you know, we all knew that that it was probably going to happen. So Matt alluded to it before. We need to see what the final results of this trade is going to be. Again, just to piggyback on it, players, it was just the alternate site. When they, not just the Red Sox, but other teams, there's been dozens of other deals that were made last season that have the, you know, little caveat to their trade of the player to be named later. So player, so evaluators can see players now that the minor leagues are back. Red Sox have until the end of the month to go and pick the players that they want out of the uh, agreed upon player pool that they have with the Royals and the Mets. So, by the end of the month, Bloom will go ahead and say, I want boom, boom, boom. Those players will be in here. We'll get the final piece to the puzzle. And then from there, I think we can begin to truly evaluate and say, well, that was a terrible deal. Or, well, wow, they got that dude. Like that, you know, 
that's a surprise, whatever it could be. So I think the verdict is still very much out on that. Franchi doesn't help things because he literally wouldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat right now. Yeah, Franchi, in, in no way am I trying to defend him because his stats are terrible and his metrics are terrible. His expecting no, batting average and expecting slugging are as bad as his, as his actual stats. One thing that hurts him big time is there's we were told that he had this light tower power and he has zero home runs. If he had even just two and one of them was an absolute bomb, the vibe around him wouldn't be as as as, as dire. It would be bad, but at least fans would have something to rally around. So far, he's given them nothing to support, nothing to root for, other than the fact that it's a funny thing on Twitter to make fun of if he gets one hit or something in a night. He's become the meme of the Boston Red Sox humor on a given night. I was looking at the stats for Jackie Bradley Jr. that I put in my Red Sox column to be named later. I did an update on him. He's batting, I think, about a buck seventy-nine right now. Uh, Franchi's batting a buck sixty something. At least Bradley's got three home runs to go along with that. Plus playing a exactly. lockdown defense in center field, and now you move Verdugo over to left, or you move Verdugo to right and put Renfro in left. That is a much, much better team than what you have now. And you know Bradley is going to get hot at some point for a string of about three weeks and produce like crazy. Do we know if that's going to happen with Franchi? We have no idea with this guy. It's just you know right. throwing like you said it's a lottery thing. You can't buy a lo- you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. So Bloom bought the ticket, but how you know what are your odds of winning the lottery really when it comes down to it? Usually you got a better chance of being struck by lightning twice than you do of winning the lottery. So I'd much rather see well, JBJ I'd back rather with his team and, and playing lockdown defense in center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's nothing know. redeemable so far of Cordero, unfortunately. All right, let's talk about one other guy that's out there um, and whether we think he might be a fit for the Red Sox, and that's Albert Pujols, uh, unceremoniously released by the Angels last week in what was kind of a shocker. Um, he, he was off to a bad start. He was in the last year of his mega deal that he signed uh, you know, 10 years ago, something like that. Um, but for a player of that stature to just be released, and I haven't heard a, a good explanation other than his performance on on why he was released. Did either one of you guys? All I've seen so far was it was a playing time thing. Yeah, the Angels were, you know, they, they, they need to win. They need to make noise because they have two of the most exciting players in all of baseball. They can't miss the playoffs again. And I just think that having him on the roster clogged up what they wanted to do. They had to, that forced them to put Jared Walsh out in the outfield, and that's not something they want to do. He's been one of their better lefty bats. He's more comfortable at first base. Otani's become an absolute monster at the plate. You can't take at bats away from him. So he is your well, almost everyday DH if he's not pitching. And they also are just loaded with outfield prospects. So to move a, a first baseman like Walsh into the outfield blocks guys like Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh and the guy they just called up Ward. I think it just came down that they just had a log jam. And, you know, given that it was the last year of his career, uh, of his contract, they said, Albert, thanks, but, uh, you know, take it easy. Which is sad to see for a future Hall of Famer to have to go out like that. One of the best right-handed bats I've seen in my life. I mean, when you look at some of the years that he had in St. Louis, absolute masher, unbelievable statistics, unbelievable 
you know, work ethic and what he did in the playoffs. He came in clutch. He was just an absolute dynamite player. And you hate to see those guys get the, uh, get the, get shown the door that way. You know, not everybody can go out like David Ortiz. So with Dahlbeck struggling at first base, do you think Pujols would be a fit for the Red Sox? He's, I'm sure he's cleared waivers by now, so they don't have to take over his contract. Do you think they could bring him in at the major league minimum and get anything left out of him for the rest of the season? Throwing that to anybody. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, the problem is, is that I, I think when you, you know, you pose that question and if you were to pose it out to Red Sox fans, I think some of them are just going to see the pool's name and they're going to be like, yeah, 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 let's do that. I think you stay the course of what you have. I mean, is Albert Pujols right now, like the Albert Pujols, the talent that he is, where he's at in his career at, what, 42 years old? Is he that much more of an upgrade defensively than Bobby Dahlback? And is he that much of an offensive upgrade offensively than Bobby Dahlback, like right now? I'm not trying to say who would you rather have, like Dahlback, Pujols, you know, type of career. I'm talking right now, apples for apples. Bobby Dahlbeck is the better option, I think, for Boston. You know, if if Pujols had some versatility and you can put him in other areas, okay, fine. You know, could he DH maybe certain games when um, JD is out in the outfield? Sure. Um, I would create some buzz. You know, uh, Albert Pujols to Boston would definitely create some buzz. Um, I mean, I'm, would love to see him hit missiles over, over, you know, the green monster, you know, who knows? I mean, it feels like he'll probably hook on to like a team like the Rays or something, you know, like that and probably go and hit, you know, 250 for the rest of the year and, you know, knock out 20, 25 home runs, you know, now that we say this, but it's unfortunate to see, you know, his his ending kind of happen the way that it did just to kind of circle back to what you guys were talking about. But I, I, I don't – it doesn't feel like to me like that was something that's a surprise either to Pujols or the, like – I have to think that the team had those conversations, right? You know what I mean? Like you're in the final year of a 10-year deal. You know, you, you, you've paid this guy boatloads of money. I would have to think that, that this new front office said to Albert, hey, look, we got to pay you either way. We're going to bring you into camp. You know, bring you know you're gonna obviously theoretically make the team, but if you don't perform, it's not a guarantee you're gonna play. And there's other players that we can put over you within the lineup, and they've done that. And I think Albert has not been used to not playing every day, and said, "No, I'm an everyday player." When he's not, and I think it came down to playing time. That's what it feels like. That's what some of the reports are saying, and. He's decided that, you know, hey, if I can't play, then why don't you just DFA me? you got to pay him either way, so why keep him and potentially be a malcontent on the bench? DFA him, let him go, try to hook on somewhere else, and just go from there. Yeah, I don't think he's a fit in Boston, mainly because they have J.D. Martinez. They have the best DH in baseball. And Pools just he can't play first base. He hasn't had a positive defensive run save metrics in 2015. So he's been a detriment to his team playing first base for the past five years. So I don't see him being able to hold down first base. Now, you want to talk about just strictly bat, I don't know if Bobby Dahlbach is a clear-cut better option. He has three more home runs than Dahlbach. He has the same average. 
He's actually hitting the ball harder, both in exit velo and max exit velo, than Bobby Dahlbach. Now, does Bobby Dahlbach have a better ceiling? I would assume so at this stage of their careers. Um, but, yeah, even so, he's not a fit here because they just – what are they going to do with him? He, he'd, be, he'd be in the same situation uh, in Boston uh, that he was in L.A. Uh, one thing I at first thought was, uh, you know, the writing was in the wall. I thought he was going to go to Chicago, play with the White Sox, you know, reunite with Tony La Russa. But the more I look at it, they got Mercedes playing DH, and he's on a tear. They got uh, Abreu at first base. Uh, Pools doesn't fit there either. So, you know, maybe you're right, Chris. Maybe a team like the Rays, is, it, it, you know, takes a flyer on him. But they got some good DHs. So I don't know where he's going to go. Uh, it sucks for him that the uh, National League doesn't have a DH yet because, you know, he could go back to St. Louis and kind of DH for them kind of ceremoniously uh, to round out his career. But they got Goldschmidt, so he ain't going there to play first base. That's for sure. So I don't know where he's going to go. All right, I have to agree with you guys. He's not a fit here, and I won't I won't go into any of the reasons because you guys have already covered it all. I thought maybe we could get a good debate going there, but unfortunately we're all in agreement. Well, one other thing that this reminds me of is um, Miguel Cabrera and how horrendous he has been so far this season. He's just not even a shadow of his former self. He, he was just terrible in the series uh, against the Red Sox. He's still got two more years on his mega contract. That's just going to be an albatross around the Tiger's neck, and, and hopefully that situation ends better than Pujols, but I really don't see it happening that way. Yeah, I mean, either, especially next year, if they have any resemblance of a competitive team. This year, they can wheel them out there. They're not going anywhere. But next year, Spencer Torkelson, their number one overall draft pick from last year, he's ready to rock. And the team seems like with behind, you know, the Mize and the Matt Mannings and all the young pitchers they have, if they look like they're going to compete next year, we could be having a similar conversation a year from now about Miguel Cabrera, unfortunately. All right, guys, any uh, last thoughts on the Red Sox so far? We have one other topic that I'd, I'd just like to talk briefly before we wrap everything up, but uh, I want to see if you have any more thoughts or things that you want to talk about with this year's Red Sox team. My last thought is I just hope, and I don't have any reason to believe this will not be the case, I just hope that Bloom does right by the, the boys in the locker room. The team's winning. You can't hold on to all the prospects. They clearly will have some needs uh, to be filled throughout the rest of this, you know, from here to the trade deadline. I hope he's aggressive and does right by the boys in the locker room. Chris? Yeah, I, I would. I want to agree with you with that, Matt, because, you know, you can have all the – you get all the prospects in the world. I mean, that's what Charrington had. Like he was like he just kept hoarding these these players and hoarding and hoarding and hoarding them. So, yeah, if they're in a position and they're still playing really good baseball and they're in first place, and you need to go and do what's right and and add more talent that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like they'll make a move for the sake of making a move, but if they need something out of the bullpen or you know if they still you still need a bat, go and go and make that move. Definitely go and make the move. So. Um, but we'll see kind of where things are at the end of this month. If they're still playing the same way and this record is, you know, consistent to where they're at. Now we're in the conversation of the Red Sox are, you know, two months into it, you know, the Yankees, I mean, they're, they're turning it on. They're playing better. You know, I just think, I don't just, I just don't think Tampa Bay has the pitching for the long term, major league ready pitching for the long term. Blue Jays are a little banged up. I mean, Baltimore could be swept tonight in a four-game series, so uh, they're a non, 
you know, not in the, they're not conversations. So I only think would be is just these injuries, you know what I mean? They, they kind of feel like they're getting some injuries that are kind of nicking, you know, Adam with uh, PK being out, you know, hopefully that's not a long-term issue with the hamstring and, you know, hopefully Arroyo can get over this bruised hand piece and he can get back out there because, you know, he was playing really well and he was hitting really, really well. So it just, it always stinks when you see a player who's producing and, and again, playing well and then they get hurt and then boom, you know, it's, you have to go back, you got to ramp them back up, get them back and ready. It just feels like he was in a really good groove. I would hate to see him kind of lose the consistency that he was getting. You talk about bringing players in later on. You mentioned Ryan Brazier's throwing off a mound. Chris Sales also started throwing off a mound, too. That would be a huge after-the-All-Star break addition to this team if they can get even 75% of what Chris Sale has been in the past. Let me throw a completely hypothetical situation out to you guys. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. Let's just say they're in the same boat where they don't really have their lefty reliever and Chris Sale is not yet ready to take on the bulk of the starter responsibilities. Yes. Could you see an, uh, you know, a, a super lefty Josh Hader role for 100%. Chris Sale? Yep. Uh, his, his innings would, would have to be limited. Good. I don't think you could do it on back-to-back nights, but give him a couple right. of days off right. in between, and yeah, I, I could absolutely see that. And, and that would be really exciting, I think. That'd be really intriguing. Almost, you could piggyback him with like Whitlock, where maybe he comes out and gives you two off the bat, and Whitlock comes in, or you know, you get him to come in in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, or something like that. But a really interesting thing, and I think given his temperament, you know, his his desire to help the team as much as possible, it's a possibility. Closed out the World Series in eighteen. Very true, very true. With that devastating slider. Yeah, I could definitely definitely see that Chris what are your thoughts on that yeah I'm not opposed to it at all I I, I think with I'm gonna say this this way I think we got to temper the expectations with Chris Sale and understand that you know it's usually not until like after like a full year the those guys we truly see them rebound from Tommy John put him in there that makes put him in a situation that makes the most sense for both him and the team it's not just assume that he's gonna go and just insert him into the rotation I like the, we you know exactly what Matt said, put him in there and in, in that, in that, you know, he could either piggyback off of a Whitlock or whatever combination, like you guys said, you know, I would just get meaningful innings out of Chris Sale. Just not every fifth day might not be the right, you know, just give get meaningful innings out of him and then reevaluate. Cause you're going to, you're going to go with a different format, uh, excuse me, format in the playoffs anyway. So maybe you just kind of get him ready for that that role for the playoffs, similar to what, you know, um, Cora did with, um, you know, having Porcillo out there late in the games and guys like that. So I just want to see him in, in, in the, in the role that makes the most sense this year, get him ready for ultimately 2022. Yeah. Let's hope he doesn't have any setbacks again. Yeah. That's key. All right, guys is, uh, we, we started talking about the, uh, the Woo Sox talk quite a bit about the Woo Sox. The uh, major, the minor league season started up last week at all levels um, after being off for an entire year last year. Uh, there are a couple of new rules that are being tested out in the minor leagues that I've had this on our agenda for quite a while, uh, but we never get the chance to talk about it because we usually talk for two hours about everything else. Um, but I, I just want to touch on a couple of them briefly before we wrap everything up. 
So this year at the AAA level, they're experimenting with enlarging the bases. Bases are usually 15 inches by 15 inches. This year they're going to go with 18 by 18, and one of the reasons they're doing that is for safety, to try to avoid player collisions, like when you know turning the double play uh, for the second baseman, give them a little bit more room. But they're also thinking that that could shorten up the distance between bases and maybe lead to more stolen bases or just you know less force plays and things like that to improve the offense. So, what are your thoughts on that that kind of idea? Do you th- that that sounds like something like totally out of the box for for baseball to come up with. So, I think just that in itself is a good sign. But what's your thoughts on this particular rule? I like this type of rule because it doesn't necessarily hurt any of the fans. You know, the old kind of guard of, of fandom isn't like that's this isn't something they're going to complain about. It's helping the players. You know, they can theoretically reduce collisions that have, you know, there have been some injuries. I mean, Cody Bellinger still isn't playing because of collision at first base. So I'm in. I'm in. I like it. Yeah, I mean. Player safety is obviously that's gonna be that's number one and important. I you know first when you know hearing about the rules, like all I kept thinking about was just like giant bases and like uh, you got the white one at first and the orange one for the player. Like I just my mind went in like so many different different directions when I first heard all this stuff. But I mean, it, we're we're talking three more inches to make the bag a little bit bigger to potentially not lose a guy like a Cody Bellinger or you know, whoever, you know, and, and not have potentially, you know, bad, you know, collisions at second base. I don't see it as being a negative, you know, I would say people are probably more focused on how they can either shorten the game or make it a little more exciting. Um, but to Matt's point, this doesn't take away from the fan experience or anything else. I mean, tomorrow they can say, Hey, we're going to increase the bags by three inches and two weeks from now, no one's going to remember that that happened. All right, one other rule that I wanted to talk about is being implemented at the double-A level, and I really like this rule, and I wish baseball would put this at the major league level today. They, they have a rule that all four infielders must be on the infield dirt. Uh, nothing aggravates me more when you see a second baseman or a third baseman shifted out into medium right field. So this rule has all four infielders on the dirt, and there's some talk that later on in the season they might further extend that to you have to have two infielders on each side of second base. What are you guys' thoughts on that rule? Start with you, Chris. I, I look, I I think the what's I think that the shift there needs to be adjustments made to that. Um, because again, we just talked about the second ago I mentioned, like, what can they do either create more excitement or whatever the shift takes away all of that. I mean, how many times do guys put pokes into right field and there's a right field or a second baseman, just everybody's there. The hot dog vendor, like everybody is in the outfield. They like, everybody is there. So, um, look, I don't mind. I mean, that's what baseball is. Like you have four infielders, you pitch, you get your catcher. You don't need to be in the outfield. Keep your second baseman at second base. You know what I mean? Um, figure out other ways to get the guy out. You know, it'll, it'll put more runs on the board, put more action. I think it would help get more attention to the game, knowing that, hey, look, 
you know, they're going to put more balls in play. So I'm with you, Bill. I, I don't see it being a, I don't see the downside of it. Yeah, it would suck because again, the Sox do it too. They put the players all over the place, but pitch better, you know, figure out other ways to get these guys out. Yeah, I love it too. I, I think that what, what's missing from baseball is action. And when you put eight guys on one side of the field, it just causes for a ground ball to go to one of them or a line drive to go to one of them or a fly ball to go to one of them. You can make them sit in their, you know, their more natural positions, you know, third, short, second, and first in their given positions. You're going to see more diving attempts at balls. You're going to see more kind of fast-paced, exciting play and less of this just hit it to the 15 guys there because, you know, the, the big leaguers aren't going to bunt the other direction no matter how much, you know, Fans say, why not just take the free bag? Take the free bag. They're not going to do it. They'll just keep hitting into the shift. And it just it takes away from the game. It just stinks. It, 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 there's so many, you know, super high exit velo line drives that go right at somebody because there's, like I said, all the fielders are just right there. And it just it's just it's another thing that analytics has turned lame throughout the years. And I think it's time to dial it back a bit and make them play the positions that – you know, we're all accustomed to them playing. This whole shift thing didn't happen until later in my life. And I remember watching, you know, the Omar Vizquel's and the Roberto Alomar's play up the middle and play dynamite, and they made great plays. I want to see more of that and less of this. Let's just put them where the ball's going to, you know, statistically proven to go. You know what I miss? I miss web gems. I miss tuning in. Right. That's such a good point. You don't, you don't see web gems anymore. Because they don't give you the ability in this game anymore to have that. You know, when Jackie Bradley Jr. made an outstanding catch in the outfield, how often was it against the shift? You know, like, we just don't see that anymore. When's the last time that you tuned in and saw an infielder make an outstanding play? Like you saw it on ESPN, it was in their top 10. Or you saw it on MLB Network. I mean, now granted, Xander made a great play the other night with against the Orioles, but it just we don't see it that often anymore. I watched two nights ago on ESPN, and they gave their top plays. An outfielder for the um, the Cardinals, Justin Williams, he made a catch on a foul ball that he jumped at at the wall to make. That was the number one play. Like yeah, and most of the great outfield catches that they show are guys that misjudge a ball and then have to run and dive to catch it because they took poor routes to the ball in the first place. At least half of them are. That make these guys play baseball again. And that play- and you know just to piggyback on that too. You I think taking away the shift also makes teams have to play less of this slow pitch softball game that they are. You know, you're seeing guys like Mike Mustakis play second base. You're seeing guys who have no business playing up the middle, playing up the middle because they'll just protect them with shifts. You get you, you make them play their natural positions. Their teams are less likely to put a DH up the middle, and you'll get more of this fast-paced, fun, web gem-type baseball. 100% agree. Matt, you mentioned – It's it's just something that – it's it's just something that the, the sport is lacking. Like, I want there to – you know, I want to see the excitement back in the game. I want, you know, all kidding aside, but, like, you know, one of the things that's – you grow the game. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to grow the game when as, a, as you know, there is going to be some kids, no matter what, when it comes to baseball, they're going to love it. But then there's going to be kids who are going to tune in. They're going to go to a game where they're going to watch on TV with a parent and they're going to be like, 
Well, I thought there's only four infielders. Why is there a guy at first, two guys at second, the center fielders playing to the right, the right field? Like, how do you explain that to a kid? Get back to basics. Sorry, Bill, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, how many more points would uh, David Ortiz have had on his average if you couldn't stack somebody in short right field for all the line drives that he used to hit there? Yeah, and, and somewhere along the lines, MLB said they wanted more offense, and they reduced that down to just home runs. That's all they cared about. But offense can come in the forms of four singles in a row. It can come in some doubles. It can come in some small ball. Their fast pace outcomes is uh, something, you know, Theo Epstein was preaching on his way out and something that he will hopefully implement now in his new role, that it's, it's not necessarily about the long ball, but it's about fast pace outcomes where something has to happen. It's not just let's walk to first base, let's walk to the dugout, let's walk around the backs. Yeah, Theo came out with some really interesting statements today, I believe, on uh, on the state of the game that uh, unfortunately I don't have in front of me, so I don't remember all of them, but it was it was things along those lines on just how the the analytics are just killing the game and they need to do something to uh you know, have more things happen on the field, not just the three true outcomes, which most of the time is a strikeout. Strikeouts? Oh, I remember one of the things that he said was uh Right now, strikeout the, the strikeout rate at the major league level is 25%. That was what the strikeout rate was for Sandy Koufax and for Nolan Ryan. They struck out 25% of their batters, and now that's the average in the major leagues right now. And these guys pitching right now aren't Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan by any stretch of the imagination. So it's that it's that kind of stuff that's just killing the game. They've, they've got to find a way to get more play happening than, than just having these guys going up and hacking. Yeah, and it's still early in the year, so obviously things could change. But the, a month in, the, the the collective average of all the big leaguers is the lowest it's been since 1968. And it's because they're just gripping and ripping. They don't care if they get a single or work a walk. They just want to try to home run, and if they don't, they'll they're okay with striking out. And it's I think it's I think it's really jarring, and I think it's very, people should listen. The the god of of all this analytics, Theo Epstein is the one warning everyone that it's killing the game. This is like when Elon Musk talks about AI. You listen to these guys. Future <laughs> commissioner of baseball, Theo Epstein. You heard her here first, remember. Ugh. You want to talk about streaking through the quad? <laughs> Theo becomes commissioner, I'm streaking through the quad. Hopefully it doesn't happen on the same night as the draft. <laughs> Hopefully it's a nice night that night, Chris, because it sounds like you and I are going to be doing some naked running. Hopefully it's nice out. Uh, back to what Matt, you mentioned 68, which is known as the uh, the year of the pitcher. Right after that season, the mound was lowered from 18 inches down to 10 to try to take some of that pitcher advantage away. Do you see baseball doing anything like that? There's been some talk of maybe pushing the mound back so these guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour uh, gives the uh, puts the hitters in a little bit more level playing field. Um, and gives them more of a chance and hopefully leads to more hits and more offense in baseball. Do you guys think anything like that could Definitely. be on the horizon? Absolutely. If the trend that they're setting right now continues, I absolutely could see some very drastic measures being taken. Uh, like you said, in 68, they lowered the mound. It's pretty much one of the biggest rule changes in the history of the game came after that year. And Eno Saris of The Athletic, he mentioned something on his one of his latest podcasts that – Teams are already gearing up 
for their pitchers to throw more breaking balls because of that change. So if they're already starting to do some things behind the scenes, I think that means it, it, we could see something like that if you know the league average is 225 by the end of the year. Chris, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, it's, it feels like that they're. I don't see like I don't see a downfall of that either. I, I don't I don't mind that. I the from a pitching standpoint, the other note you put into the notes regarding the low A with the pickoff attempts, I actually like that idea more so than lowering the mound, where you limit the amount of step offs or you limit it to two pickoff attempts because I think that that's when you there's way too many pickoff attempts sometimes for guys when they're. I mean, how many times is there in a bat and there's a speedy, you know, player that's on first and they throw three, four, five, six times over to there before the other at bat's completed? So I'd rather see that happen at a major league level before tinkering with the mound. But you know, they're it just it feels like that they're going to do a lot of different things to improve the game or add excitement that isn't you know that's going to change some of the cosmetics. So. Maybe it's got to be prepared and open-minded as a fan base and, and understand that the game's changing, and it's changing in a good way. At least they're trying, and they're having conversation on wanting to do these things, and I think that that's, I think that that's a plus. Guys have to get on base before they can steal the base. You can't steal first. True. Which, isn't that something? I thought that was actually a, a potential rule change they were going to implement in like an independent what, league. you could steal first base? Then you could steal first how, base, How would yeah. that happen? I'm not sure the mechanics of it. I do. Maybe it was a joke I read. I don't know. It's it's kind of foggy, but I I could have swore I read somewhere that in some independent league they were kind of playing around with this, where it, you know if I can't remember what it was because if the pitcher's looking at you, you never you never stealing first base. But I don't know. Uh, you know I'm kind of open to anything because baseball is dying and I love baseball and I think a lot of changes could be made for the better. And Chris, you touched on this. They are trying. You know you're hearing reports that. Rob Manfred's meeting with, you know, Adam Silver and, and the guys in the NBA, and they're they're growing their games leaps and bounds uh, more than baseball is. So that's someone you want to lean on and get advice from. And you know, of course, Theo Epstein. I mean, there there it, there is not somebody in baseball that I revere more than Theo Epstein. So if he can save the Red Sox and the Twins, he can save baseball. I did hear that there were uh, new rules that they I, one of the independent leagues was going to have um, a designated runner that you could insert into the game and run for a player, but you wouldn't lose that player that was run for. He would be able to come back. And they were also going to have a designated pinch hitter that you could insert into the game one time, and the player who was hit for could return back to the game afterwards, go back in the field. Those are a couple of interesting rules, but I don't know if Major League rosters are big enough to handle something like that, especially you know with the Red Sox carrying basically three reserves in addition to a DH. I don't think you could get into specialty-type things like that. If they were to expand the rosters a little bit, maybe that's something that could uh, spark a little interest. Can you imagine having some speedster come in you know, to, to run for maybe Christian Vasquez, and you could have this guy come in and maybe steal a couple of bases, but then Vasquez gets to go back out and catch afterwards? You know, That, that could be some excitement that's pretty cool. into the game. Sir. Softball, you know, collegiate softball has some variation of that rule where they can run for a player and they don't lose the that player for the game. So that would be fun. I mean, anytime you can get more action, I mean, and, and just to think how it, it would be so interesting to see 
where these team builders go to find those players. Because having any baseball acumen, it will not matter. They will be going to track meets left and right to get that player. All right, guys, any final, final thoughts before we wrap this up? I think I am good. Go Sox! Right now they're losing 2-1 to one to Baltimore as we speak. Take a three out of four in Baltimore. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. For sure. But you don't want to lose these, these cheap getaway days. These are the games you want to make sure you win, which they have, you know, done pretty well. So we'll see. We shall see. All right, everyone, check out our website, www.boston. How come I can never get this right? www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. You can read the articles from all our writers, which mainly is Chris. But uh, Matt and I, we, we throw one in there, too. Uh, so does Derek, uh, covering the Patriots. And we've got some other writers, too. You can also find links to all our podcasts and to our merch page. We have hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, mugs. We have new tumblers and pint glasses that just came out. We also have new stickers, which I just got in the mail today, and I've got to put that on my truck. So if you see a uh, Toyota truck driving around with a syndicate sticker on it, give me a honk, and I'll give you a wave back. Also, check out our Facebook page at Boston Sports Syndicate. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Boston Sports Sin, and all of our podcasts have their own Twitter page, and you can find the Red Sox podcast to be named later. Twitter account is at Red Sox pod underscore BSS. Chris, how many followers are we up to with that one? 758. Check it out. Uh, Chris handles that account for us, and he tweets out a lot of good stuff. He'll do, uh, like, um, all the home runs. He'll he'll retweet those from all the teams, not just the Red Sox. Dingler, yeah. Dinger alert. Dingler. Jesus. We can't see. I can't talk it. Dinger alert, yes. The Dinger alert. And I'm trying to think of something for pitching next because I want to get pitchers you love too. So we're going to get we're gonna get some pitching on there. But I, I would love to see that account get to uh, 1,000 followers before the All-Star break. I wanted it to be at 1,000 before the season started. We did get a major push. We should aim for 1,000 before the All-Star break. Trading deadline, sorry. Trading deadline. All right, once again, that's at Red Sox pod underscore BSS. If you're a baseball fan, check it out. It's a good follow. We're also doing some exciting things here at the syndicate. We're trying to uh, go into some new new uh, platforms. Uh, we're going to uh, – we actually have a Twitch page that we're going to be putting some content out on Twitch um, in the near future, and that will be an opportunity for all of you to interact with us. So stay tuned. Check that out. Um, maybe that's where we'll do our um, – when we do the baseball draft. Maybe we'll do something on Twitch that night. We also have uh, – we've started up on Discord. If you want to talk to our writers and all our podcast hosts, we're on a platform called Discord. You can uh, find links to that on our website or any of our social media platforms. You can find an invitation to join our group, and you can go in and talk directly to us. If you have any thoughts or any ideas on anything you'd like to hear us talk about on our podcast or cover in our articles on our website, just uh, shoot us a text on that. Uh, we also we've started a new partnership with a company called Symbol, which is a really cool concept we've talked about before on these podcasts. It's a way that you can buy stock in your favorite sports teams, and as they're 
fortunes go up and down, your stocks will go up and down. So if you think a team is on the rise and you want to invest in them now and potentially make some money on them there in the future, check it out at Symbol Exchange and use the promo code BSS and you'll get a $10 bonus deposit into your account on your first transaction. And now that people are back in the stands, if you want to go to a game or a concert or any type of event like that, you can go to SeatGeek and use the code BSS and get 20% off your first purchase. Matt, Chris, always a pleasure talking baseball with you gentlemen. To everyone listening at home or in your car or wherever you're listening, thank you for joining us, and we will catch you later. Later. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDM and Jay Kelly.